Hello and welcome to the Broadcast News Wrap, your shorthand guide to the week's TV news stories brought to you by the Broadcast Editorial Team. I'm Broadcast Reporter Des Ibiqua and this week, as the television industry continues to reckon with its record on diversity, we take a look at the latest developments, from broadcasters' pledges to the brave steps taken by talent in sharing their experiences of racism. Also, my exclusive interview with broadcaster and author Afua Hirsch and Milk and Honey Managing Director Lucy Pilkington. I speak to the pair about their newly unveiled production partnership and the state of the industry diversity. All that, plus what we've been watching on this week's Broadcast News Wrap. Welcome back to the Broadcast News Wrap. Since we've last spoken, um, Lime Pictures has launched a racism probe. Uh, Sky has launched a racial injustice fund. The blackface debate has raged once again. Uh, Misha B, a former X Factor contestant, has accused the programme for stoking racial tensions. Channel 4 has committed to a number of initiatives to improve its um, record on anti-racism. I am joined today by senior reporter Max Goldbart. Hello, how have you been? Yeah, good, thanks. Good, thanks. We've had a week off uh, and it's good to be back on the pod. What have you been up to since, since um, in the last week? Have you, have you been bereft? Have you felt um, podless? <laughs> Sad. Yeah. yeah, I have a little bit. Uh, it feels like there's, there's, uh, as as we're going to discuss, there's been quite a lot going on in the TV industry. But it did, it did feel weird not having our our normal Thursday afternoon record. Yeah. Uh, but but hopefully our, our uh, adoring listeners got to <laughs> listen back to our seven available episodes. So diversity. Um, the industry has uh, really kind of. Uh, grabbed onto this you know obviously in the wake of black lives matter um there has been you know a lot of pressure on channels to to make right um some of the injustices that have been going on and one massive part of that has been um accusations coming out about certain productions and um uh and the treatment of talent on on set um i think how do you think that that, that they've responded for for example with um with line pictures you know um launching a racism pro in the in the wake of rachel adadeji's do you think you know channels and, and indies have been you know muscular enough in their in their responses yes it's a difficult one isn't it um mm. for for line for line pictures and and the Hollyoak stuff uh that that all came as a response to uh lime calling for some of its black cast members to take part in in a podcast mm. uh, about racism specifically and so in believing that they'd done something positive and reached out, uh, Lime ended up looking very, very foolish as, as first Rachel Adadeji, uh, and then a couple of others, what one white and one black former crew member, uh, mm. both came forward with, with further allegations of, of racism and discrimination. So it felt at first like a, a almost maybe some people were feeling it was a damned if you do damned if you don't kind of scenario i think it's it's interesting that damned if you do damned if you don't kind of uh, uh question because that's come up a lot with this and i think um if you're doing if you're making those steps then you should surely understand that the the criticisms that come from it can only be positive so if if you feel like if is a situation where uh, where people are you know the accusations are coming out you just have to kind of roll with it because that's something that has already happened and has actually damaged these people's like you know self-esteem or careers so I think yeah it's 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 just it's just is what it is in the in the in the age-old age mm. um, and I think channels should be more 
open to, to to those sorts of criticisms because it's like you can't control how someone feels about how you made them feel if, if that yeah makes sense. So, yeah um, yeah, yeah I, I agree with you uh and and i think again again in the, in the case of lime and in the in the case of these complaints it does really i think it really worries you to think that it takes something that seems slightly arbitrary like a podcast about racism to to force a few people to to come out and you just think to yourself how many of these experiences have black and minority ethnic people had over the past decade like if, yeah. if, if, if this one very specific thing there have been so many tv shows made so many casts so many crew someone else a, a few days after um the the Hollyoaks stuff uh, there was also the the uh, a former black member of the Towie cast which is also produced by Lime uh, mm. came out with similar allegations and I wonder uh, I wonder over the over the next few weeks and, and coming months whether so much more of this stuff is is set to is set to come out yeah I mean we can in a way we can only hope in in that you know when when we have these discussions of diversity I think it's you know you, you obviously have uh, people of prominence um, you know uh, uh, kind of execs and um, you know big name talent um, but the, it's the experience of people that are you know more rank and file more uh, kind of in production that often don't get a hearing and I think it'll be really interesting to hear more about um, what they experience and how the, whoever the broadcaster or indie was how they're going to address address those issues because it's all good and well you know um committing to x y and z but like if if you're not if uh people on the ground are experiencing racism then that's kind of a a, a bigger issue in the way because yeah. that's, that 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 di that affects the pipeline more more intimately i think um so yeah it, it would be it will be really interesting to see what comes out um and hopefully they're supported and um and treated nicely more recently, we, we've had a, a for, former X Factor contestant, uh, Misha B, uh, came forward with uh, with with some accusations uh, from from something that that took place almost ten years ago. I think it was the the mm. two thousand and eleven edition. Um, what what did you think of of that? I think it's incredibly you know brave because a lot of uh, the racism that takes place isn't um, as hopefully a lot of people who are listening know is like isn't overt or like. Um, the things that you see in movies like often it's more it's more insidious and uh accusing um black women of being too overly overly confident and also um of being a bully that's something that crops up a lot in in um mm. the lives of black women i think is it was incredibly brave for her to come forward you know obviously i think talisa has responded as well um kind of a sort of doubling down but also admitting that she should have been um, more emotionally intelligent so mm, she managed um, to do both of those things at, at the yeah. same time in one sentence I think yeah yeah she was saying something but her face was also like I'm sorry that you feel that way kind yeah. Of thing. Um, yeah so I think it was it was it was really interesting I think it will um, hopefully we can have more of a discussion about the way that um, black contestants on reality shows are treated more generally which I think has been an issue that has cropped up again and again um, and yeah I again like ITV hasn't hasn't responded directly but hopefully there's a, there's a little bit more um, kind of thought put into into that particular area because I think it can be a little bit unwieldy and um, with Love Island for example and the black contestants that have been on that mm -hmm. Uh, there has been some some mention of of um, some unfair treatment or portrayal, so mm. I think it'll be 
but so this was it was 2011 do you think uh in terms of in terms of this form of of microaggression uh do you do you think that's something that that has lessened or or sort of improved over the past 10 years um, or no i think the way that a black women are treated in the media and in 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 reality tv shows like it's just it's it's continued on and hopefully people will be more aware of that particular form of racism um going forward um so it, yeah I, I think it, the thing is it's really interesting another thing that's really interesting is that looking back how sort of egregious it is she was 19 like i, I yeah. don't know it it, re it really got to me because I, I don't know a lot of black women can watch that and see that it rings true <laughs> it mm. rings so so true um so no it, it hasn't lessened and uh hopefully there's some movement on it from from um, the relevant broadcasters yeah it's it's the sort of thing and, and we're going to come on to this and talk a little bit about channel four but it's it's the sort of thing that if if production companies and and broadcasters are going to Im improve in this sort of respect uh it builds into being anti-racist as opposed to just avoiding being racist if, if yeah. you follow me really yeah, really, yeah. really listening to stuff like this and and trying to improve going forwards uh, i thought she raised yeah. an excellent point another thing um that's that's come out in the in the in the time that we've been we've been off um is the blackface debate obviously there was the removal of little britain from my um from iplayer mm. and um channel four has said has committed to reviewing their archive as well um do you think all channels should be should be doing the same? Should they all be be auditing their their back catalogues for um for racism and uh, blackface? <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a really difficult one, isn't it? Uh, I certainly think you know if 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 there's been any um any any past show where blackface has been used, we would now very much accept that that is something that is unacceptable. And I would yeah if I if I <laughs> ran a channel. Uh, then that's something that I would be looking back for. Uh, mm. My my overarching feeling with the blackface debate is that it's just a little bit of a mask for some much bigger debates that we need yeah. to be having. Yes. And it's really the moment I saw the Little Britain story developing and breaking, I knew it was going to dominate the debate and the news around the debate for days because it's about a really popular old comedy. It's a sort of easy debate to have. And there are much more difficult debates surrounding it and uh, I, I last week I interviewed uh, David Olasoga um, for of, of a house through time fame uh, and he'd been spending all week basically making media appearances talking about the statues debate mm -hmm. um, and I, I I don't think they're quite the same but I would equate the statues debate with the blackface debate in that it's just much easier to have it's easier to be polarized about and it doesn't really get to the heart of what we want to be talking about so yeah. I, I welcome some of the moves that the broadcasters have made i think um the the 40 towers episode just sort of leave it alone <laughs> that was from a really long time ago and it's yeah. a bit silly and i know john john cleese uh comes across Probably. very badly on, on twitter <laughs> uh but i thought uh, i mean it uh, it got taken off and then reinstated and and i don't know why we're having that sort of debate around an old episode of 40 towers yeah moving on to channel four so they they made uh anti-racism um pledge or several several pledges a couple i think it was a couple of days ago was it last week um what did you think of it i think it was it was it was you know comprehensive in a way um there were there were a lot of you know tenets to it um 
when you were having a read through, what were you, what were your thoughts on on what they were promising? I thought um, I, I was I'm really impressed to be honest um, because mm. there is stuff for the stuff for the short term, there's stuff for the near future, and there's also the kind of stuff that that me and you have been talking about um, about sort of structural and and cultural change that that will avoid uh, the the sorts of um, sorts of issues that happened with with Misha B, for example. Um, I'm particularly impressed by the pledge to double the number of BAME-led indies that Channel 4 commissions. Uh, it's aiming to do that in the next three years. Um, so I think that would hopefully by the time it was in 2023, it would be up at around 16 or so BAME-led yeah. indies, which unfortunately doesn't sound like a huge number. Mm. Uh, but that is a really positive, active way of having fame voices contributing to channel four's output even like, even small things like um making sure that the content that they're putting out is accurately reflects um what you know it's like to be black or brown in britain i think though those things are really important because often you can see see shows that i don't know is a little bit of a pastiche or is a bit you know but accurately actually committing to something that's that that could be said to be a little bit more you know a little bit more intangible like actually saying that you know we want to properly reflect people's lives and yeah so the the BAME led um the commitment to BAME led indies is also really powerful when I was speaking to Afwaha she she was talking about um the the ability to control your own narrative and I thought that was that was really powerful because she was like if we had you know controlled our own narrative in the first place a lot of what has happened wouldn't have happened um and I think that's that's incredible, like empowering black people, not just on screen, but also off screen and creating safe spaces where black people can create um, create content is actually incredibly important. So I think I think there were there were a lot of really good points there. And I just, you know, I'm really hopeful that, you know, this is something that sticks, you know, like and, and actually makes a proper deep change. Earlier this week, I spoke down to columnist and broadcaster Afwa Hirsch and Lucy Pilkington of Milk and Honey to speak a little bit about their new venture and indie. Um, here is a little bit of that conversation. Uh, I guess, you know, with the with your your new partnership, I guess my first question would be, you know, how did you you meet and how did these kind of creative conversations between the both of you begin? It's going to sound really sort of really romantic but it's like I feel like I've always known Afwa uh, maybe because I've known her through her work um before we actually met um no I think Lucy's probably forgotten that we met when I was in my early 20s before I was actually even working in tv when I'd just become a journalist and I was introduced through some other uh, through the team and Simone um, and Marcus Ryder and other black people I knew who worked in TV who just introduced me to this world where there were these incredible black women mm. working in TV. And Lucy probably doesn't remember this, but she took quite a nurturing approach to me. And I remember uh, her being almost like a bit of a mentor and really supportive, even before I even worked in TV. And I just remember thinking, if I ever work in TV, I want to work with her. So, Lucy was already a super successful TV person at that stage, and I was just a baby journalist in my opinion. <laughs> purposeful about the fact that our paths have now kind of crossed in yeah. a different in a, in a yes in a really serious way so it's great but I'm so happy to have you know you're always 
casting around, particularly in TV, you're always casting around for like-minded people and people who, you know, share a, a view of the world and who want to do the same work, you know. Mm. You know, Des, it's like a lot of our work is not this work. Yeah. So it's just really nice to have found somebody who wants to do this work and who, you know, we can, we can, we've got, just got loads of ideas. The ideas just flow really well between us, I think. Yeah, it does. And I, what happened was I started doing more um, factual programming, presenting documentaries for other indies. And the sense that I could add more value if I had more editorial control from an earlier stage made me want to start my own production company and really, have editorial input and I think that when you're making these programs it's so important because you especially when you're telling black stories you're telling telling stories about empire about histories that people have not been made familiar with mm. um it's and and as we know we work in an industry that is not representative that doesn't have people from similar backgrounds in positions of power and it's all too easy for well-intended projects to start replicating some of the problems that have always historically plagued the way we portray stories about black people about africa about the diaspora mm. so there was both a practical reason why i wanted to have more editorial control but also an ideological one where i feel that it's really important that we control our own narrative yes, and if we yeah. didn't have our own stories historically we wouldn't be in the position that we're in now mm. so for me i wanted to have more control but also work out how I could work with someone really experienced and who works with integrity and produces programs that I love. It made perfect sense to see if there were a way of working with Milk and Honey because it's a company that I already believed in and Lucy was someone I already knew works with a certain ethos where she'd like to nurture new talent and bring up another generation of people doing what she does. So mm. for me, it made perfect sense um, to work with Milk and Honey and for us to collaborate on projects. I feel like we're on the same page with everything that we do. So it was a perfect fit. Yeah, and as you said before, you've been um, doing more and more factual programming, but I wanted to kind of get your sense on uh, diversity in the industry. Obviously, right now we're having um, conversations about uh, how we platform and value um, black voices what has your experience doing those programs and you know obviously being a broadcast journalist as, as well like what has that been like and what's your take on 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 the state of it at the moment well I'm really fortunate that I've been in a position to only work on projects I want to work on mm. um, and I realize that's a real privilege and that's one reason that I work with broadcasters because I think people who are I'm self-employed and I you know I have kind of I have multiple things that I do. I'm a professor of journalism. I'm a writer. So I've, I've not been dependent on broadcast projects for my income, which has allowed me to be more selective. Yeah. But I, I know that a lot of people who aren't in that position often have to work on things that have elements they're really uncomfortable with. And that's one reason that I also work to pressure and advocate for change in the industry. Um, but even working on projects with like-minded people or people who I feel share my kind of values... This is just an industry that has historically and consistently failed to really um, embrace diversity and has not been comfortable with the language of blackness or anti-racism, but has always chosen a kind of softer path that can often lead to tokenism. Mm. And, um, and that, that is conservative. And I think, you know, somebody who came into journalism and broadcasting slightly later in my career, because I... Yeah, I used to be a barrister and I used to work in international development before mm -hmm. that. I always assumed that this was an industry that was interested in telling stories and 
telling the truth, you know, and I think that there are a lot of people who are committed to that, but there is a huge conservatism in our industry in a sense that if it hasn't been seen before, then it might not be valid, or if it hasn't been told this way, that might not be a good way to tell it. Yeah. And that gets perfectly comfortable in quite lazy ideas about how to depict things. So yeah. that's frustrating. It's and it's more frustrating when you feel like you're working with people who see what you see and you still can't always change it. So um I think that you know there are so many stories everyone every black person who works in broadcasting has stories mm. and it's and it, it frustrates me how differential the outcomes for black owned production companies are even when their work is exceptional even when they work tirelessly even when they're hugely respected even when their ratings and the quality of their program is so high there are still so many structural barriers to them achieving equality in the marketplace for broadcasting. And it's, you know, as someone who's relatively new to that, I just find it very difficult to understand why anyone finds that acceptable. Lucy, you've been in the industry for so long. And how do you think we can make lasting change rather than it being kind of like a feverish, immediate response? Um, and I don't know, 10 years down the line, this is a period that could be seen as uh, being watershed for um, bringing about change. I mean, I think I think that that Afwa is right that that without without the money, mm. <laughs> without you know uh, black companies, black program makers making money, they they the, the industry won't change. That that you know the power is in is in the pound, and I think I think that that we need to find a way to really support. Success. I mean, I would say this, wouldn't I? I'm a, I'm a company, but not just for companies, but also for directors mm. and for uh, for for talent to really support them. And the way to really support them is not to um, offer them more training; it's to offer them more work. Mm. And I think that that certainly, as as somebody who employs um, freelance talent, I think we've all got to take seriously the responsibility to nurture people's careers and and I think that something I've seen is too often people might get one gig but they don't get enough gigs to sustain them in this this industry and to grow and so that's something that that at a production company level we can do we can make sure that when we hire we are always hiring a properly diverse team Mm. from top to bottom Um, I also think that um, broadcasters need to need to say to really commit to what what they are going to spend on black programs, black production companies, and how they are going to support them, because uh, you know the process of just you know pitching an idea and then seeing if it gets through does not you know you, they you know companies really can't survive on that. They really need to actually have somebody who is looking out for them and supporting them. And I think and I don't see enough of that support going to black companies. Um, I mean, I'm fortunate enough that we have we're um, part of the small indie scheme at the BBC, mm. but I would like to see schemes like that develop and grow and be able to support a number of companies so that we're not back in this situation in another ten years' time, mm. where we are where we just feel like that like the a lot of black companies and people have left the industry. So, time for everyone's favourite segment, apparently. Um, <laughs> what broadcast has been watching? Uh, Max, what have you uh, been tuning into uh, over the last couple of weeks? I've, I've been watching The Salisbury Poisonings. I watched it uh, for three nights in a row. 
when it was on at 9 p.m which is totally unheard of right (laughs) i'm a 16 to 34 uh but i was i was suitably impressed uh it's 7.2 million people watched the first one uh, which was incredible and slightly less the the second two. Uh, but to be fair, they they put it all on iPlayer at that point. Um, and uh, I, I was really, really impressed. I, I really do like a, I like a factual drama, uh, but mm. I thought this stepped things up in terms of quality, re a factual drama. And what, what I really liked about it is that it, it's absolutely stuck to what it said it was going to do, which is talk about the, the Salisbury crazy Novichok poisoning but very much from the viewpoint of the uh, sort of quote unquote ordinary person we noted that the guys who wrote it are current affairs producers and journalists yeah. uh, and, and that really seemed to come through more than anything I felt this weird element of foreshadowing because mm-hmm. this happened in 2018 but there, there were um, there was an element of people having to quarantine people were having to not visit other people because they might carry a trace of Novichok and uh, we we all know what's happening now mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and it felt like in the in this tiny little town in the middle of England uh, was a, a weird sign of things to come. Thank you for listening to the broadcast news wrap. I've been reported as Ibuqua and you've been listening to Afua Hirsch, Lucy Pilkinson and broadcast senior reporter Max Goldbart. Check out the pod on Spotify and iTunes or on our website via www.broadcastnow.co.uk.